Well, as I said, we're in the Advent season and we're celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ, our King. And today we're going to look a little bit more at the prophecy that we, we just read, the, the reading that we just had in Isaiah. So we're going to read out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Some of this we have already read, but it's, it's, it's good. We're going to massage it into our souls. So stand with me as we read Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father God, we come and we celebrate and remember the, the, the moment in time where you stepped in, became God with us. Now you have always been God with us in, a, in the sense of being present in your creation to bless, present in your creation to direct but in, in the Advent season, we celebrate this unique moment where you, in your second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh and our human nature in order that you might live a life that reflects the right and righteous life that, that we're all called to live, in order that you might die in our place for our sins and in order that you might rise again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, so that we might stand here to celebrate that we serve and, and live in the service of the Prince of Peace. Holy Spirit, would you come and open our eyes to behold amazing things out of your word. Lord, I pray that these words would be, sh- the, the tradition would be shook off of them, and we would see them freshly as powerful and meaningful to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we hear these, these words often, probably most years if you've been in church, you, you, you hear these words, for unto us a child is born. I mean, I, I don't know if you felt weird, I was expecting for an unto us, but uh, the ESV decides unto is maybe too archaic, so for to us a child is born. But, but there's a sense that we've heard this over and over and it, it kind of rolls off our tongue and, and we're somewhat familiar with it. But I want us to step back and, and try to, as I said in the prayer, I want us to shake off kind of our... Our uh, calculus of, of, of tradition and, and what we've always heard it as and to listen to this prophecy that was given by Isaiah to the people of Judah. So some, some context, Judah was the, the southern kingdom uh, and, and the, after, shortly after David's reign, um, the, the kingdom split and things went from bad to worse and the kingdoms of, of God, the Israelites, really didn't follow, for the most part, uh, the rules and the commands of God. And so we have these, these prophets who would come and, and try to right the ship. They would try to bring correction to the ship. And so one of the things that Isaiah is trying to do is trying to warn 
the people of Judah and say, you know, I, I understand that you've got some issues, and, and they did have issues. The Assyrian government, the Assyrian uh, empire was, was rising up, and there was danger of them coming and sacking uh, Judah. Uh, the, the northern empire had already fallen, and, and so there was concern, and there was worry, and there was this idea of, okay, we need to figure out what we can do to solve this problem. What they had failed to do was to trust in the God who promised to solve the problem for them. And so Isaiah comes to them and he gives some, some warnings about the coming Assyrian invasion in chapter 8. Um, and, and he encourages them to fear God and wait on the Lord. And then he breaks into this, this prophecy about the, the one who would shine in the darkness. And, and we read a little bit in verse 2 of chapter 9. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And he's looking into the future, or their future, our past, looking to, into the future to see the, the Israelite people seeing the light of Jesus Christ, they've, who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them has light shined. Didn't this sound like Jesus? You have multiplied the nation, made the nation great again. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoils. So there's this promise that God is coming to bring great joy. I mean, does that not sound like Christmas? I've, I've come to bring good tidings of what? Great joy. joy. Let's try it again. Great joy. Right. Great joy. Isaiah, encouragingly enough, sometimes it's very discouraging, but in this text, he's trying to cause them and encourage them and encourage you and me to rejoice. Now, the reality is, it's really ugly outside right now. Uh, if I were to look at the weather, rejoicing is not what I would do. And now it, maybe you're in a situation in your life where you look at your life circumstances. Maybe it's something about your job or something about your, your family. You just came back from Thanksgiving. Maybe that was great. Maybe it wasn't. But perhaps you're looking around your life and saying, I don't know that I have reason to rejoice. I don't know that I have in this season of time reason to, to be joyful, to be glad, to be exuberant. I don't know that I have reason to celebrate. And Isaiah comes up and says, no, you have reason because something's been given to us. Let's look at verse six. He says, for to us, a child is born. The, the four there, for to us, a child is born. This is part of the reason that they ought to be joyful and rejoice. This is part of the reason that you and I, as we listen and engage our hearts that we ought to rejoice. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the, the interesting thing about God is that he often confounds our idea of wisdom. When I think of an Assyrian giant nation in with, with the danger of invading, taking over. You know what I want to hear Isaiah say? For unto us, some tanks are given. <laughs> unto us, an unstoppable infantry is born at the age of 23, all of whom are seals. Right? That's what I want to see. I want to see might. I want to see strength. I want to see power. And, and God knows that. And he creates this situation where they're going to experience real joy, but it's going to be undeniably by the hand of God. 
And he says, a child is given. Now imagine Isaiah speaking to the people and saying, I've got a plan. God's got a solution. You know what that solution is? Tell us, Isaiah, a baby. (laughs) A baby dragon? A baby small army? No, a child is given. And it's interesting that he says a child is born and a son is given. Now this, this alludes a bit to the reality that who's coming but Jesus Christ who was not created but was pre-existing with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So yes, a child is born. Jesus Christ takes on human flesh but a son is given. A son who pre-existed this situation is given. So he says, rejoice. You will have joy. Why? Because a son is given. And this is what we hear echoed in, in Luke when we look at the, the Advent story in, in the book of Luke chapter 2. And we, we hear the shepherds listen to what the angels say to them. Fear not, chapter 2 verse 10. Fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day born in the, in the city of David is a savior who is called Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord. What, what a packed, what a packed thing. Unto you this day is given a baby who also is the promised Messiah from thousands of years ago. The one who would, would save us from our deepest needs, our deepest issues, our greatest challenges. This is... This is the Messiah that that Isaiah speaks about. And he describes him. Let's look again at verse 6. He says, Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You know, what's interesting is that the the kings of of Judah and and Israel, they, they didn't really represent kingship well. You know, we talked a little bit about Saul and David, and the reality was, the Israelites were looking around and they said, we want a king like that. And, and God had said, I'm your king. I've shown you what kingly character looks like, what kingly care looks like, what kingly prosperity and protection looks like. They said, no, 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 we want, we want the, what everyone else has. And so he gives it to them and bar David and, and maybe one or two others, they really do a terrible job of expressing what kingship looks like. And so it's interesting that, that Isaiah doesn't even use the word king because to use the word means very little in this season. But he says the government shall be on his shoulders. The authority will be on his shoulders. Let me encourage you, friend. Today, the government, the government is not on your shoulders. The government of your life is not on your shoulders. That's good in some respects. It's bad in other respects. In one respect, it's good because the pressure is off. The pressure is off. But it also means the control is not in your hands. The government is not on your shoulders. Some of us need to learn to, to, to put our, our eyes on our own paper and let God do what God needs to do. And some of us need to... Praise the Lord that, that we don't have to look at God's paper. You know, you think about your to-do list and, oh man, I got a lot to do today. And God's like, hmm, not, not that much. 
In fact, I'm doing most of the things that you need to do. <laughs> Breathing, heart beating, blood pumping, keeping creation and reality from just disappearing. The government is on his shoulders. And then he goes on to describe him. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. The reality is Isaiah lived in a time where wisdom was not common. Common sense was not common, as your mom might have said. And, and they had seen, the Israelites had seen time after time after time, the wisdom of men failing. They had tried to make treaties with, with foreign nations after God had said, don't do that. And, and it ended up blowing up in their face. But this one who's promised by God, this one who would come, this child, this child, not someone who would fit the bill for human wisdom, this child would be called wonderful counselor, wise one. Someone who could provide real wisdom. Do you need wisdom today? Right? In the New Testament, Jesus is called the, the logos, the word of God. And there's, there's wrapped in this, this idea of, of wisdom. And, and in the Old Testament, you see wisdom personified. And you, you get this sense that, that Jesus, when he comes, he is that wisdom which was personified. He is the wisdom and knowledge of God. And he's more than that, but he certainly is that. And his life reflected this countercultural, counter uh, common sense way of living where up was down and left was right. And, and you, you thought one thing, but the reality was God's wisdom was another way. We think meekness is weakness. Jesus thought meekness was strength. He, Jesus showed us that, that might doesn't make right, although he could have. No, he said sacrifice is what makes right. Service is what makes right. When, when the disciples were, were vying for second place and, and they're trying to figure out who's going who's gonna to run this thing, Jesus dons the, 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 the clothing of, of a waiter, of a servant, and, and washes their feet. And it's not just a religious thing where he's trying to, to mystically do something. He's very practically showing them what leadership looks like. Leadership looks like serving others, sacrificing others, being humble before others. And, and we see that, that his wisdom was not the wisdom of his disciples. He is our wonderful counselor. What else is he? Mighty God. And there's no mincing words this, this one who would come, he was not just an earthly Messiah. He's not just some human. He's not just some person who is, who's limited to one place and time. But he's God become man, mighty God. And that phrase there, it's used of God in, in the book of Isaiah. This is not some sort of, uh, we're massaging it and, and mighty God really means kind of great hero and you're, a, you're an awesome, you're a God among men. No, that's not what he's saying. No, he is the mighty God. Emmanuel, God with us, which Isaiah had talked about in, in chapter seven. Mighty God, everlasting father. That's the one that threw me, you know, I imagine some of you, you grew up, you know, Orthodox Christian. And you, Jesus is not the father. The father is the father. Jesus is the son. And I, I thought that too and kind of scratched my head when I looked at that. But this idea of a father, again, Isaiah is avoiding using the term of king. And oftentimes the kings would describe themselves as the fathers to their people. 
because they would provide and protect and really function in many ways as the father, the father of their people. And the the thing about Jesus is that he's the everlasting father. He is forever protecting his people. He's forever preparing and providing for his people. He's forever sacrificing on behalf of his people. He's not a temporary father. He's not a, a terrible father. He he's, redefines fatherhood. If you come into this room with father baggage, your father wasn't in the picture, your father was in the picture in a very terrible way, let me encourage you. Jesus is the good, the better, the best father. He provides. He's a good king. He cares. His rulership is not vindictive or dictatorial or authoritarian. It's gentle and meek. He's the everlasting father. And and to top it all off, he's the prince of peace. Peace. Parents, do you ever just sit down while the kids are down asleep and just listen to nothing? Just... I forgot what that sound sounded like. You don't have this constant buzzing or chirping or attituding. And then you, you look in at your children when they're asleep and they look like sweet little babies and you know that you're wrong. And they will, if it, no, I'm just kidding. I love my kids. They're amazing. But the reality is peace Peace is, it's elusive in our time and, and it's temporary in our time. Even among the ones we love the deepest, peace is something that often eludes us. In our workplace, peace is something that eludes us. And as soon as we have it here, it's like we, it disappears here. It's kind of like holding water in your hands. You can kind of do it for a minute, but eventually it's all coming out. Jesus is the prince of peace. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. He rules as one who rules delivering peace. Do you need peace today? He's a a prince of peace because he deals with one of the greatest wars in our life. And it's not the war between you and your spouse or you and your neighbor and you and your, your employer or you and your, your government, or you and, and your parents. No, he deals with the issue of you and the war that you have with God. The Bible says it very clearly that we are, we are enemies of God before Jesus Christ. Outside of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you and I, our primary issue isn't that life is hard. Your, your primary issue, my primary issue, is not that, man, uh, people are mean. It's not that, that, that I've got a lot of problems. It's not that there's injustice in the world, even though all of these things are true. My pr- primary problem is Eddie Barnes. And Eddie has a problem with God, apart from Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace was intended to deal with the deepest of our issues, not our, our, our horizontal issues primarily, but first and foremost, our vertical issue with God. And if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my encouragement to you is that there is a solution to the problem that you may not even know exists. We all have to answer to God. The Bible says in, in a number of places that we will submit ourselves, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. 
Some knees will bow voluntarily. Some knees will be broken. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he brings peace to us through his life, death, and resurrection. He brings peace to us by taking on human flesh. He brings peace to us by experiencing our, our pain, our temptations, our sorrows, by living righteously. We can rejoice because there is a king who is coming. Right? Let's go back to what Isaiah is trying to say. He's saying, you're going to be filled with joy. Not because life is hard, not because these bad things are happening, but because God has made a, a way. We can rejoice because there's a coming king, and we can also rejoice because his kingdom is also coming. Look at verse 7 with me. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end to the increase of his government to the increase of his authority, to the increase of his sovereignty, to the increase of his power and rule over all things. There will be no end to that, nor will there be an end to his peace. That, that's a title that can be given to no nation. No nation in all of history can say, we established peace eternally. We established peace for our people forever. Come be a citizen of this nation, a nation which has never, will never experience anything but peace. It's not a temporary kingdom. Again, what what temporary kingdoms are you trusting in today? What temporary kingdoms are you trusting in today to bring you peace, to bring you prosperity? It's Christmas time. Are you trusting in your job to bring you peace and prosperity? To make sure you can, you can fit everything in and you can buy all the presents and you can make sure that, that you can do all the things? Are you trusting in, in your family members to make you feel better and to bring peace to your life? Probably you've been shook, shook up maybe a little bit. Maybe not, hopefully not. <laughs> Christmas time's hard. Thanksgiving's hard sometimes. And so have you been shook to the reality that, that maybe the, the, the kingdom of your family is not something that's permanent or peaceful? Maybe it's entertainment or this or that hobby that you're trusting and please just give me, give me a moment of respite, of relaxation. If I could just get out on the golf course, I could just have some peace. If I could just watch my show for six hours on Netflix... <laughs> I could have peace. If I could just eat this one more slice of pie, I could have peace. If this one thing in my life could change, I would have peace. What is the kingdom that you're trusting in? What kingdom are you trusting in? Jesus' uh, kingdom was a kingdom of peace of which there will be no end. And it's a, it's a kingdom established on the throne of David and over his kingdom. That doesn't seem quite as significant to us maybe, but, but for the Israelites, they were hoping for someone who would fulfill the promise that was made to David, that his kingdom would last forever. And the good news is that God is faithful to his promises. He established the, king, the kingdom of David, the throne of David, and he was gonna bring about the rule and reign of one of the descendants of King David, even though David's blood descendants were pretty terrible. The the kings who ruled, they, they for the most part were not exemplifying godly leadership. But God says, nevertheless, 
this government is going to be established on the throne of King David and over his kingdom. It'll be established and upheld with what? Justice and righteousness. How many of you live in a time where you've seen injustice, you've seen wickedness, and you've said, why can't this be fixed or changed? Why can't this social issue be fixed or changed? Why do people continue to abuse their power? Why do people who are being oppressed continue to be oppressed? Why is there, why is there a gap? Why do I see this gap? Jesus came to establish a kingdom that would be established on and upheld with justice, with righteousness. And it's justice and righteousness that was, it, it was bathed in blood. This is justice, this is not just justice of, okay, we're going to make everyone feel better, the poor are going to be rich, and the, the rich are going to be uh, brought down, but no, this is the, everyone is on the same page, we've all sinned against the holy God, and we all deserve death, and the justice that is paid, the justice that is deserved to us, where, where the, 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 the judgment is death, is paid by Jesus Christ. His, his hands and his feet are, are punctured and blood flows. When we hear that justice and righteousness establish this kingdom, it's the justice and righteousness of the blood of Christ. It gives me a moment to pause when I think about what righteousness ought to look like in my life what justice ought to look like in my life. It's very easy for me to say that's injustice, that's unrighteous, that's wicked, and to completely forget the junk that's going on in my own soul. To forget the wickedness that I still harbor. I still pet like a, like a small hamster. Like, that, that's wicked, but this one's okay. <laughs> Jesus was establishing a kingdom with justice and righteousness that was bathed in his blood. It's a kingdom of, of peace. I said that once more, but it's a kingdom of peace, real peace. Peace established through sacrifice, not force. Peace established to address our greatest issue, our enmity with God, and peace with God that allows us to have peace with men. Again, your problem and my problem, I, I don't want to, yes, there's problems in the world, things are broken, um, maybe you're treated unfairly in this or that situation, your family, there are issues. I'm not saying those things are irrelevant. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but the greatest issue that you and I have is our, our relationship with God, positively or negatively. Either we're in Christ and in a positive, loving relationship with God, or we are not in Christ and we are enemies of God under his judgment. The peace that God offers, the kingdom that, that God invites us into, the kingdom that Isaiah was talking about is a kingdom that was established through Jesus Christ. And you have to come through the king to get into his kingdom. Once you're in the kingdom, then these horizontal issues can be addressed. But really, this is all superfluous if we haven't addressed the vertical issue of our relationship with God. It's a kingdom of peace. And the most powerful thing that, that I think Isaiah says here is that he's gonna, God is going to guarantee that this happens. 
by the zeal of the Lord of hosts. He says at the end of verse seven, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How many of you, when, when you, you know what? You say, I'm gonna do this. And then five, minute, five minutes later, you forget what you just said. I've got so many alarms in my phone. Go home, uh, clean out the van, talk to so-and-so about such-and-such, pray for this. Because I, my zeal means very little. I, I would like for it to mean a lot. And in the moment, it feels like it means something. But the reality is there's something about my, my broken human nature, my inability to, it's, a, I, it's not an excuse, but, but whatever it is, I need my phone's zeal to help me. But, but Isaiah tells us the zeal of not, not him, it's not Isaiah's zeal, it's not the zeal of the Israelites, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the word there, Lord, is Yahweh. The same zeal of the God who covenanted himself with this people. The same zeal of God who said, I am who I am. I am who I am. Doesn't matter what's going on. I am always who I am. I will be who I will be. His zeal is unchanging because he is unchanging. If he says he will do it, he will do it. And he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Family, unto us a child is born and a son is given and on his shoulders will be the government, will be the authority, will be the the kingship and he's going to establish a kingdom that we're all invited into, a kingdom that is founded and maintained on the blood of and the broken body of his justice and righteousness. What are you trusting in today? As we, as we celebrate Christmas, I, I know that there's some things creeping in, some anxieties, some fears, some worries, some concerns that are creeping in, and I just want you to take a moment and pause and realize what those pressures are are saying about the kingdom that you think that you're living in. Whose kingdom are you living in? Are you living in your own kingdom where you have to make it all happen? Are you living in your family's kingdom where you have to make things happen or else? Are you living in your employer's kingdom where you're, you're having to do things because such and such and peace only means that I just, I push and I push and I push or I, I don't do or whose kingdom are you living in? Are you living in the kingdom of the Prince of Peace who offers peace in whatever circumstance? Peace doesn't always mean peaceful. But peace does mean that God will be present. We can rejoice because God has sent his son we can rejoice because God has established his kingdom and we can rejoice because God is zealous for his people. He's passionate about you, family. Hear this, God is passionate about you. The fact that he is zealous to establish this kingdom in part means that he's zealous about you because you're part of his kingdom. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you're part of his kingdom. 
And that wasn't just an ancillary decision. That wasn't just a, an accidental thing that happened. That was part of what God was planning. When he thought, okay, this is what my kingdom is going to look like. This is what my king is going to look like. This is what his rule is going to look like. He was also thinking, these are his people. God is zealous. He's passionate about you. And, and when God is zealous, he gets what he wants to done. He doesn't need Siri to help him. He doesn't need whatever the Android equivalent is to help him. <laughs> he, he can do it on his own. We can rejoice. We can be happy. I, I, I want to invite you to be happy because the Prince of Peace has come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've established in your son a kingdom that's everlasting, that's just, that's righteous, that's full of peace. I pray that, that you, would, you would help us to feel and experience the peace that we have available to us in Jesus Christ. If you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you recognize that mm, I, I haven't dealt with this vertical issue of my relationship with God, let me encourage you, you can respond today. You know, the Bible says that if we will just believe in our heart and, and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that he's our ruler, that, that we'll be saved. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. There's nothing magical in raising your hand. I just want, want to see and, and join my faith with you and, and, and pray. All right. Well, God, we thank you. We thank you for your, your peace. We thank you for the Prince of Peace. Amen. Love you, family.